do you ever look back on your life and reflect on wasted opportunities? Uh, maybe a position, a job, a role that you wish you'd applied for, a course that you wish you'd completed, an investment that you wish you'd made. Now, I wish I'd start with my guitar lessons. I um, unfortunately gave them up as soon as the teacher stopped giving out sweets. Uh, <laughs> that, that wasn't recent. It was, I think I was in grade three or something. But uh, the worst of all missed opportunities are missed spiritual opportunities, times when we could have worked to build God's kingdom, but we didn't. Uh, for example, I wish that I'd given my life to Christ much sooner. Uh, if I'd been following Jesus when I was in the Royal Marines, I would have had such an amazing opportunity to share my faith. Uh, I lived and worked with a, a group of men who knew me really well, and I knew them. They trusted me, and I trusted them. We would talk about anything, and we were sometimes in situations where I think people are generally more receptive uh, to hearing the gospel. Uh, I had a wonderful opportunity there, and I missed it. Of course, I can't wind the, back the clock. I'm not beating myself up over that. But today's parable is about wasted opportunities. It's a parable that calls us to reflect on our level of faithfulness. Are we faithfully serving Jesus, or are we wasting the opportunities that we've been given? The parable contrasts the two good and faithful servants who apply themselves to their responsibilities uh, with diligence and attentiveness. And then you've got the wicked, lazy servant uh, who shirks all his responsibilities completely. So what's the backdrop to this parable? Why did Jesus tell it? Uh, well, in the preceding chapter, chapter 24, uh, Jesus talks about the end of the age, the end of history as we know it, the time when Jesus will return to make all things new. And the disciples ask, and I'm pretty sure we would ask exactly the same question. They, they say, well, when is all this going to happen? And Jesus makes it very clear that no one, including himself, knows the timing of this. No one except God the Father. Uh, in chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 42, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And then verse 44, The Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. All this comes just before this parable that we're looking at today. So Jesus doesn't indicate a time, a day, a year, a century, a millennium, an era. He doesn't narrow it down at all. Because at this stage, even Jesus doesn't know the timing. Only the Father knows. You see, God wants us to live in eager anticipation of the second coming. And chapter 25 that we're looking at today is all about how we should live between now and then. Firstly, there's the parable of the ten virgins. That's a parable about patiently waiting and be, being ready for Christ's return. But, but it's not just a case of waiting. We're not just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back. In the book of Acts, um, the, uh, when Jesus ascends to heaven, the disciples are left staring up into the sky and two angels appear and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, don't just stand there gawking up at the sky. You've got work to do. Go and get on with it. Uh, you may have seen that t-shirt that says, 
Jesus is coming. Look busy. (laughs) Well, it's not so far from the truth. Jesus is coming. And we're not just supposed to try and make it look as if we're busy. We are actually supposed to be busy. We're not just waiting, but we're working. We have a job to do to serve Jesus and to build his kingdom. So Jesus often used parables to illustrate what the kingdom of heaven, the the kingdom of God, and you can use those terms interchangeably, uh, but what the kingdom of heaven is like. And when Jesus used the word kingdom, uh, he used it in one of two different ways. So sometimes when Jesus said kingdom, he meant everyone who is saved, everyone who belongs to him, everyone who will live forever in a renewed and restored creation with Jesus forever. In a sense, it's an invisible kingdom because only God can see our hearts. Only God can see who truly belongs to him, who truly belongs to his eternal kingdom. For example, in Matthew 18, verse 3, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In that instance, Jesus is uh, talking in the invisible sense. He's talking about the body of redeemed people, those who are saved from death and separation from God. On other occasions when Jesus said kingdom, he meant the visible kingdom, Everything that we can see from our perspective, that includes the institutional church, the structures, the organizations, the buildings, all the people uh, connected to that, all those who claim to be God's children, some true and some false. For example, in Matthew 13, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a net that catches this huge haul of fish. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but they threw the bad fish away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. You notice Jesus didn't say the world is like a net. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a net. The church is a visible sign of God's kingdom on earth, but it's not perfect. It's corrupt. And at the end of the age, God will separate the good fish from the bad fish. We might say, well, isn't it a bit confusing to talk about the invisible kingdom and the visible kingdom? But, but actually, we do much the same thing with the word church. Uh, sometimes when we say church, we do mean the building, the structures, the institution, the organization, the people associated with that. And sometimes when we say church, uh, we mean the church of Christ, those who truly belong to Jesus. So there's the invisible kingdom and the visible kingdom. And it's important to understand that because Jesus says it will be like, the kingdom of heaven will be like, and then he tells the parable of the bags of gold. Three servants. Two are faithful, the third is unfaithful. Two genuinely love and serve their master, the third does not. Two belong to the kingdom, the invisible kingdom, the third does not. So let's look at the parable itself. The NIV calls it the parable of the bags of gold. Uh, you, you might be more familiar with uh, the parable of the talents. What do you think of when you hear the word talent? Uh, you may think of a gift or an ability. You may think of Australia's Got Talent. I've got to admit I've never watched it, but I know that it exists. You might say, oh, he was so talented he could play the spoons. 
Or she had such an amazing talent, she could balance five chairs uh, on her chin whilst playing the violin. From a Christian perspective, when we read this parable, uh, we often read the word talent as gift, as if our talent is worship leading or hospitality or something like that. Uh, We tend to think of talents as being gifts and abilities. But that's not really what Jesus meant. A talent is literally a measurement of weight. It was actually quite a heavy weight. Some estimate as much as 50 pounds. And it later became a measurement of gold or silver. So instead of bags of gold, maybe we should be talking about gold bullion, slabs of gold. This is a, a large amount of money investment that the master has made. And I think the best way to understand talents, the best and the simplest way, is the weight of our responsibilities. That is to say, our responsibilities in light of our ability and our opportunities. Uh, And the way that we exercise these responsibilities determines our level of faithfulness. So the master in the parable is going on a journey and he entrusts his wealth to his servants. And in the book of Acts, as we saw when Jesus ascended to heaven, uh, he went off out of sight from the disciples, Jesus is not present in the world in the same way that he was when he was literally walking around with his disciples. Jesus is still present uh, by the Holy Spirit, but not in the way he was when he literally walked the earth. Um, and so Jesus is the master who has gone on this long journey, so to speak. And we are the servants. We are the ones who have been entrusted with the master's wealth. We have been entrusted with all the riches of heaven. And in the parable, the master gives a a different weight of gold, a different amount of treasure to each servant. So the first one gets five talents. The second one gets two talents. The last one gets one talent, which is still a a significant amount of wealth. One talent is not chicken feed. This is a, a, a good amount of wealth. And we're told that he gives each one according to their ability according to their ability. So the talents themselves don't represent uh, ability. The talents represent the servant's responsibility. What will they do with this great treasure that they've been given? And each one of us has a different level of responsibility within the kingdom, depending on our ability and our opportunities. Billy Graham, to take an example that everyone will know, Billy Graham was a man of considerable ability. He was an intelligent man. He was a brilliant communicator. He was charismatic and engaging and witty. He was also someone who had an enormous amount of opportunity. He was raised in a a Christian country, at least a nominally Christian country. He had the the good fortune to to hear the gospel at a young age. Uh, He had the opportunity to attend Bible college, and he had all other, lots of other kinds of opportunities to Uh, learn and grow and be discipled in the Christian faith. And so he was given, let's say, five talents uh, according to his ability. He had a huge responsibility, but he was faithful. He preached the gospel to millions of people. Now imagine an illiterate peasant who grew up in a developing part of the world, let's say Tajikistan, uh, who came to faith later in life. He may not have such great ability, He may be uneducated, he might be uh, inarticulate, I'm just uh, painting a picture for the sake of the, the illustration. Certainly he wouldn't have had the same opportunities as Billy Graham. 
There may only have been one Bible in the whole village. Uh, He may not have had the opportunity to hear the gospel explained so well. Uh, He may never travel more than a few kilometers away from his village. And so he's given one talent according to his ability and opportunities. He's still given responsibility, it's just not as great. He might not preach to millions of people, but if he's faithful, he will share the gospel with his family and with his neighbors and even with the whole village. You know, the number of talents doesn't determine whether someone is a faithful or a wicked servant. If someone gets five talents and another one gets one talent, they may be equally faithful. It's just that they have a different responsibility within the kingdom. As Christians, whatever hand we're dealt in life, we have a responsibility to invest in the kingdom. So what about our bag of gold? How many talents have we been given? What is the weight of our responsibility? Well, we all have uh, different uh, abilities, uh, but I think uh, we're all literate. I I think we're all fairly communicative. Of course, within the congregation, there's a huge range of skills and uh, uh, abilities. We've all got access to Bibles uh, and a huge array of Christian literature and other resources, some uh, audio books and audio Bibles and all the rest of it. We can all hear the gospel preached regularly without fear of persecution, and and that is a huge privilege that we, we shouldn't take for granted. Uh, we got lots of opportunities to hang out with other Christians, to be built up by one another. Uh, and we all have contact with plenty of people who don't yet know Jesus. Collectively, our abilities and opportunities are enormous. We've got a heavy bag. We've been entrusted with a great deal. And so we have a considerable responsibility. And what happened when the faithful servants took their responsibility seriously and put their master's money to work? What happened? There was increase. The five-talent servant and the two-talent servant doubled their master's investment. And what happens when we take our responsibilities seriously? What happens when we make the most of what we've been given? There's increase. People are saved. The church grows. I don't just mean St. Andrews. I mean the worldwide church. God's kingdom comes. And if you're able to stay for the AGM today, uh, that'll be another part of that process where we uh, determine how we can fulfill our responsibilities as a church. But let's go now to the master's return. What happened when the master came back? Uh, Well, first comes the servant with five talent. He says, uh, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been trusted, uh, you have been faithful rather with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then comes the servant who is given two talents. And he says the same thing. Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two talents more. And the master's reply is identical. Well done, good and faithful servant, etc., etc. In other words, Billy Graham gets the same response as the illiterate peasant from Tajikistan. It's not the impact that counts, but the faithfulness. It's not the impact that counts, but the faithfulness. Each of them has done their best with what they've been given, and the master can ask no more. 
So what about the one talent servant? What did he do? Well, he buried his master's treasure in the ground and then he dug it up and gave it back to him. Actually, it wasn't that uncommon to bury treasure in the ancient world. It was considered quite a secure place to keep your wealth so long as you could remember where you buried it. And the first two servants, uh, they proved their faithfulness. Uh, They proved uh, by their faithfulness that they were genuinely their master's servants. They loved their master and they served him diligently until his return. The The third servant proved the opposite by his lack of faithfulness. He did nothing. He didn't love his master and he had no thought of getting a return on his investment. And this servant clearly doesn't know his master. He doesn't know him. He calls him a hard man. Would any of us who know and love Jesus call God hard? Of course not. He says, I knew that you harvest where you have not sown and gather where you have not scattered seed. There's only one kind of person who harvests where they haven't sown and gathers where they haven't scattered seed. And that is someone who's taking someone else's crop. This third servant is accusing the master of taking what doesn't belong to him. He says he was scared. He says, if I invested the money and, uh, and lost it, you'd punish me. And if I made a profit, you'd take the lot. So I just buried it in the ground. In real terms, it's like he's saying, I don't want to do anything for you because you'll get the glory. There's no love or submission in his heart. He's blind to his master's love and kindness, his mercy, compassion, honor, majesty, glory, worthiness. He does not know his master. He appeared to be one of the master's servants, but really he's not. In terms of the kingdom, he's part of the visible kingdom, you know, the big picture, the whole church. He kind of is in there. People would associate him with that. But he's not part of the invisible kingdom. He's in the net, but he's a bad fish. So two of the servants of the master were faithful and one was unfaithful. But let's be clear. We do not belong to the kingdom because we are faithful. Our faithfulness is the evidence that we belong. Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal God, wrote this. He said, religion operates on the principle of I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. The basic operating principle of the gospel is I am accepted by God through the work of Jesus, therefore I obey. Our obedience, our faithfulness is not some kind of ticket into the kingdom. But when we know the master... When we know Jesus, when we see the extent of our sin, we come to that realization that we are sinful human beings in need of a savior. When we realize that Jesus, God in person, was nailed to a cross for us. When we understand this, when we've absorbed it, we want to joyfully obey our master. And that is evidence that we have come into the kingdom. But we come into the kingdom as a pure act of grace on God's part. The first two servants faithfully obeyed uh, because they knew their master. They knew him. They loved him. They'd given him their hearts, their allegiance. The third servant did nothing because he didn't know the master. He didn't love him. He hadn't given him his heart, his allegiance. We're waiting for Jesus to return. But it's not just a case of waiting We're also supposed to be working. We have been entrusted with the gospel, the the good news of Jesus, and our abilities and opportunities 
are enormous. The question is, will we act responsibly? Will we be faithful? When Jesus returns, will he say to us as a church, well done, good and faithful servants? Our level of responsibility as individuals will depend on our ability and our opportunities. We're not all expected to be Billy Grahams, but we are expected to do our best with what we've been given. We are expected to do our best with what we've been given. Now, that doesn't mean uh, running around until we drop dead of exhaustion. It doesn't mean burning ourselves out and pushing ourselves to the point where we just can't do any more. I don't believe that that's what God calls us to. But he does call us to joyful and faithful service, to play our part, whatever part that is, great or small, in building his kingdom. It's a wonderful privilege to be part of it. So with that in mind, let us press on and let us resolve to be good and faithful servants. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we entered your kingdom, you fit us for a purpose. And we know that each one of us here uh, has a purpose that you have given, uh, something that you want us to do for your glory, a way that we can serve you, the way that we can build your kingdom. But we also remember you said that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so we recognize that this is not a a laborious thing. This is not a a heavy burden that we have to bear. It's a joy and a privilege and something that brings great excitement and, and life, and life in all its fullness. And we pray that we can live that out as a church. We pray that we can serve you with joy that we can excitedly see the things that you are doing among us and in our community, that we can get involved in your work, that we can get a, a good investment, sorry, a good return on the investment that you've made in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.